Mark Selby, CEO of Canada Nickel, uh, advancing the Crawford Nickel Sulfide Project and unlocking the Timmins Nickel District. Okay, well, let's talk about that word, advancing, because you've just put out press release today says that you've actually delayed put, um, putting out the numbers to us. So is there anything wrong, something we need to know about? Nope, we've completed uh, all the engineering for the base project, and we're happy with where the project's landing. Uh, what, we're, what we're taking a couple extra months for is to complete uh, the engineering on the carbon storage capacity there. Uh, you know, what we're talking about uh, with this carbon storage is creating a million ton per annum. And, and the test work we've completed and announced today has confirmed that we can hit that million ton per annum target when the project's fully ramped up. You know, in Canada, carbon prices are set to go to $170 a ton by 2030. You know, as the storage facility for this carbon, we'll be capturing a portion of that. And as well, right now, there's some pretty um, comprehensive tax credits available from the government from between 37.5% to 60% of the capital uh, involved in this. And we want to make sure uh, that we're able to get as much of this free money as possible because it means you know, less future shareholder dilution in terms of the amount of equity we'd need to raise to get the project going. Okay, I hear you. But okay, so, so tell, me, tell me what you've done. When you say we've completed the engineering, what's left to do? What, what's the missing bit? The, the missing bit is basically just completing the engineering for the carbon storage uh, process that'll be incorporated into the process plant design. So we've we've completed a whole bunch of additional test work. Uh, we need to do some pilot plant scale work, uh, which we couldn't get scheduled till July. Um, so we're doing that this summer, and that'll allow us to com you know complete uh, the engineering work that needs to uh, incorporate this carbon storage uh, facility into the overall process plant. Let me, let me push you again then, Mark. Chris, you were, we're aiming for the end of last year, initially for feasibility, right? Then you said, well, there's a big opportunity ahead of us, not in terms of just credits, but, you know, you know, cash generative opportunity in front of us because there's carbon capture storage um, and, and uh, you know, this whole IPT carbonization process. You then thought it might be the end of Q1, and now we're saying, yeah, you need a little bit more time. Oh, it's the end of Q2, sorry, and now you need a little bit more time. So again, I've got to push in. When you say this, we're not seeing anything that, that concerns us. Um, what is left to do? Because you, you, you know the engineering bit, you, you've been working on it, continue to work on it. Is it just about this pilot? Is it just that? It's just about the pilot. So we've again, what we've done at the lab scale test work and a much more labs comprehensive lab scale test work. So we get a bunch of design parameters out of that test work. Now we just need to do it at a at a larger scale. To be able to to confirm that we can in, incorporate it in into the feasibility study, and so, um, you know, we're very happy again being able to do this. You know, million ton per annum is great. You know, what we talked about in the release today is we we're targeting twelve to twenty four hours of residence time to be able to make that happen. But it basically, you know, bubbling CO two through those tailings, uh, we can get we can basically get all the short term objective that we need within six hours. So that's much smaller than we were expecting to have to build, which is which is a big plus. And, you know, the key thing to remember with all of this, you know, when we deliver this in September, it'll be 14 months after one of our guys stuck a tube of CO2 into a bucket of tailings after an experiment, and we left it sitting over the weekend to see what would happen. You know, I, I would challenge any of the top R&D product development, process development places, you know, to be able to achieve what we've been able to do, you know, in, in this span of, span of time, and I'm very proud of our team's, you know, team's ability to uh, deliver on this. Okay, but just remind me of the scale of the opportunity again, because you mentioned obviously, you know, credits from the Canadian government, but 
why is it so important to get this right now? Because it, I don't know who measures it, who validates it. You know, who's to say you know this is better than sticking a hosepipe in a bucket? You know, what 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 are you aiming for? Yeah, there's so there's there's basically two cash streams attached to this. So the the first cash stream is. Um, the Canadian government announced a series of refundable tax credits in the 2022 budget from 37.5 to 60% of the capital invested in a carbon capture and storage facility. Um, there's a time limit on this. You have to have it, you know, the, 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 by 2030, and then those credits disappear after a few years. And so, you know, we want basically included in the process plant, you know, we're going to push to have as much of the process plant included as the carbon storage facility because at the end of the day if we don't grind up the rock to make it available to the co2 to 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 to, to store it the you know the, the whole process uh, doesn't work so you know th we're talking about you know tens of millions hundreds of millions of dollars potentially you know in terms of these carbon credits we have to go apply to the government to say here's the process that we're going to use we need to make sure it's rock solid because we'll be the you know the first people doing this kind of carbon storage, carb fix injects uh, CO2 into solid rock in, in, in Iceland. So we're not anticipating any problems, but we want to make sure that, you know, we've got a bulletproof, you know, here's the engineered design, here's all the test work, it works, you know, please, uh, you know, please qualify us for this program. And, you know, we can start counting on, on what that cash is going to look like. The second stream is, again, this million ton per annum carbon storage that's there. You know, in Canada, carbon prices are going to $170 a ton by 2030. Um, you know, for that price, people will be looking to capture the carbon and they will need to store it. You know, we'll be the uh, right now it's illegal to inject CO2 into um, into sedimentary rock in, in uh, there. There's some of that in southwest Ontario, but that's the only place where that rock exists. There's no other potential for that kind of carbon storage anywhere else in the province and, and we'll be you know, at a million tons per annum, one of the largest storage facilities uh, in Canada. So at a million tons a year with some percentage, you know, we don't know what that's going to look like of that $170 uh, tax that people will be avoiding. Um, you know, that's a very chunky revenue stream, you know, that, that, you know, will be available to the project. And to be honest, we've already had, and we've, we've talked about in the release, you know, some, some big inbound approaches from some very large multinational companies, you know, who want to provide you know, carbon solutions for their customers. Um, and they need a place to store the carbon, you know, that they want to help customers capture. And so they realize that there's a very short list of places where that can happen. And the fact that they've, they've come to us already before we've even finished the design, um, you know, I think really validates that, you know, going down this path is 100% the right thing to do. Okay, so the feasibility, so we'll ask, actually, I understand the economics around this thing. Here's the question I had. I was just, just the thoughts of reading through some of the recent press releases. You've got... Reed, you've got Midlothian, obviously Crawford. Will you be able to kind of just replicate this on all of these other discoveries, or does it all feed into the same facility? I mean, how how do you look at that? Yeah, so with these big bulk tonnage deposits, you you know you you know we're not talking about you know high value per ton rock. You know we're building scale facilities to be able you know to deliver at a cost. So you know the key here is is we'll be able to cut and paste that facility to each one of those deposits. You know, there'll be some that end up as a cluster, but, you know, the reason, you know, we went and got all of these projects two years ago before people really started to figure out what the real value of this is 
One, we need lots of nickel in North America, and no one else is discovering very much nickel anywhere else in the world, number one. Number two, each one of these deposits you know, becomes another million ton carbon storage facility. You know, and again, some of these deposits are even larger, so they could become even, even larger than that. So in a world where people want to take CO2 out of the environment, and there's very few ways to be able to, to store that carbon, you know, we are going to be one of the real alternatives. You know, we're going to be plugged into the North American rail network. And so we'll be a real carbon storage destination, uh, you know, for people who want to eliminate, you know, carbon from the environment. Okay. Um, you've just been on a road trip, been around Indonesia and much other places. And um, one of the one of the biggest feedbacks that we get all the time is that, well, none of this matters because Indonesia are going to turn up the, the volume. They're going to flood the market. Um, we're going to have more nickel than we need. What do you think to that? What did you see when you were on tour? Yeah, so in Indonesia, um, there was a conference last week and they had a series of site visits. Um, you know, there was lots of processing capacity being built. You know, there's, I think, 4 million tons per annum on the books by 2030. And again, you know, we think nickel demand is going to be five to five and a half million tons or more. Um, so, you know, that capacity will get built. There's lots of plans and, and, and the Chinese are, are, are cranking it out. The big risk there is is one is the ability of them to actually deliver that volume of ore. You know these these plants uh, started with saffrolite ore at 1.8 percent a few years ago. Uh, what was interesting is is the mid tier guys are already processing just 1.6 to 1.65, and there was one small producer who's actually producing 1.5 percent. You know what that means is you know the capacity's fixed, and if you've got 15 to 20 percent lower grades, you're going to produce 15 to 20 percent less material. So there's you know um, just because the plants being built doesn't mine it's act is is going to actually you know uh, produce so um, and the Indonesian head of the Indonesian government agency uh, geological bureau said he he was skeptical whether or not they could actually deliver enough ore um, and he's probably got some of the best insight in terms of what the, the resource looks like the other big issue again all of this material is you know effectively Chinese controlled. It has a large carbon footprint. The HPAL projects don't have the same footprint that the you know NPI MAT does. But again, for Western consumers, um, it'll be very, very hard you know for them to to rely on or want to use all this high carbon material. And so, you know, in a, in a lot of materials in stainless steel, there's a massive price benefit in North America versus price premium versus uh, the Asian market. In carbon steel, there's a big price premium in North America versus the Asian market. And so. Again, I, I would not be surprised, given the fact that we can provide a clean, low-carbon uh, alternative, that you're going to see, you know, my view has always been it's not class one, class two. It's going to be basically Western low-carbon product versus Chinese high-carbon product. And there will be, you know, a premium that emerges, you know, for the kind of product that we're making. Okay. So as far as you're concerned, the the type of product you're, you're making, the byproduct here in terms of the carbon, uh, carbon capture storage um, for you, puts you in a, in a good good place. So Indonesia holds no fear fears for your company or companies like yours. No, not at all. I mean, again, the, the the entire automotive supply chain is not going to depend on Chinese controlled supply. The the U.S. government and the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, they have, have have clarified a bunch of the rules. But one thing they they talk about and they haven't defined yet are entities of foreign concern, um, you know, which is targeted towards. Uh, Chinese company, so you know we'll see, we'll see how that that uh, that plays out as well. But um, you know, uh, 
you know, Western consumers will want Western supply, you know, and, and not Chinese controlled uh, supply uh, to rely on going forward. Okay. And it was just, uh, Mike, I'm coming back full circle for you, Mike, because like, you, you've been announcing lots of new discoveries of scale and great opportunity, but each one of those uh, comes with its own uh, sets of challenges down the line in terms of in terms of funding, et cetera. And what do you do with them? How do you monetize them, et cetera? You know, your shareholders right now are looking at your share price going, what's what's going on? Is it driven by nickel price? Is it driven by the fact that you're not getting this feasibility study over the line? Is it just wider equities pressure, which I guess a lot of, a lot of metals and a lot of companies are are under at the moment? What do you put it down to? And where and where where's the uptick come from? Yeah, no, it's basically you, you know the, the all of the nickel development stories. If you look from the start of the year or when we raised the money, you know at a dollar ninety five back in early March would look like a very good thing to do. You know that that, that this whole sector you know has has been pretty unloved. You know as I said before, the the only time I've seen a bigger disconnect was in the early days of China when people didn't believe China was for real. Um, and again, I think investors, you know, they talk about it. But the broader investment community, you know, doesn't realize the raw material shortage that's necessary to make this energy transition happen. And and when they do, you know, that's going to really unfold over the next 12 to 18 months. You know, we've seen deals and capital provided by automotive companies and lithium. You are going to see the same thing happen, you know, in, in the nickel space. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I think, you know, be patient, you know, get a ride, ride through this. And, you know, on the other side, you know, the in the broader investment community will come. They didn't come until 2004, five uh, in the China story. It took them a good 24 months before the sort of the Ch China evangelists, uh, you know, uh, who made a lot of money because they got in early on. You know, the EV story is still really not well understood by the investment community. And so projects like ours that are going to get uh, the, the mining tax credit, refundable tax credit from the Canadian government, projects like ours that'll get the uh, carbon storage refundable tax credit, you know, that will take uh, substantially reduce the equity portion that we'll have to raise to get this project built. Projects like ours, you know, we think will be real standouts, you know, through the next five to seven years. Okay. And so I'm, I should have mentioned, I did want to ask you about this. Obviously, uh, Taxmont project seems to be moving at a pace. Is, is, is there any value being attributed to that at the moment? I know why you did it strategically in terms of cash flow, you know, smoothing the curves as it were, but um, are people paying attention to this? What's the expectation of you? And has it allowed you to go and have conversations with batching manufacturers and, and, and others? Yeah, no, Texmont, again, you know, Crawford, we're advancing rapidly, but as a big project that needs to go through the permitting process, you know, we're talking about first production at the end of 2027. With Texmont as a past producer, um, you know, with mining leases in place, we think if, if the resource and the PEA pans out the way we think, that we could get this in production by 2025. You know, again, having the ability to deliver, you know, even several thousand tons of nickel in that medium term time frame, you know, is something that, you know, the EV chain needs all the nickel they can as soon as they can. And so, you know, th that's, uh, you know, allowing us to have even even broader discussions with people, you know, who want to get as, as much nickel as soon as they can. Okay, Mark. Uh, good to see you. See you soon. Take care, sir.